0: This morning, it occurred to me that 20 years ago today, on this exact day, I started my training as a therapist. 20 years ago today, I started my master's program in the couple and family therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle. But why did I do that? Why did I choose to be a therapist? I was young. I was 24. It was the 90s. Anything seemed possible back then. You know, the dot-com boom was happening. I could have worked for a startup. I could have worked for Microsoft or Boeing in Seattle, like all my friends and family. That would have been an easy path for me. So why did I decide the hard path of being a therapist? I didn't know any therapists. No one in my family wanted me to be a therapist. None of my friends were interested in psychology. I was just a 24-year-old sort of douchebag who drank beer with my buddies while watching the Seattle Supersonics every night. At least that's what I can remember about my life at 24. You know, 20 years is a long time, so I don't really remember what I was thinking. I mean, I have a story in my head about what I was thinking back then, but there's no real way of knowing if that story has morphed over time, right? If only I had a time machine, I could go back in time and ask myself, Kirk, why did you decide to be a therapist this year? Why did you do that? But I actually do have a time machine, and it is called My Journal or my diary, or whatever you want to call it. So let's see what my journal says. In March of 1995, was, this is when I decided to become a therapist, I wrote, I'm going to be a psychologist. Two weeks ago, I suddenly decided to either be a music teacher or a psychologist. Although, I don't think I could discipline children, so I'll be a therapist. I figured out that psychology has been a common thread throughout my whole life, and I didn't even know it. I also wrote, I never thought I'd go back to school. I hate school. I really do, but I hate where my career is going even more. <laughs> That's funny. I did hate school. Boy, I hated school. I learned to love it as I got older, for sure, but when I was younger, I hated school. I also wrote in the March of 95, I'm, I'm convinced this is the right decision, even if it's very difficult to find a job. Actually, it's not that hard to find a job. For example, in my program, 98% of our grads are currently working in the field, so there's lots of jobs out there. I don't know where that misconception gets propagated. But now now some of the jobs might not be so great, but, you know, there's definitely jobs out there. All right, let's see what else I wrote in my journal. In October of 95, 20 years ago exactly, which this was my first quarter of grad school, and I wrote, after this second week of school, I have realized my occupation is going to be a long, long journey. <laughs> it's very wise of me at 24 A long, line. indeed it is. I'm still on that journey. I also wrote, I like my classes. There is a lot of reading. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I also wrote, we share a lot about our personal stuff in class. Today in narrative research, I was in a group with two other ladies telling our life story. I was the only one who didn't cry the entire time. I felt funny being the strong one or the young no-baggage one, or the guy. <laughs> uh, well, first off, I'm calling my classmates ladies, which is, uh, which is I don't know what, what that's about. But I'm also saying that um, I felt bad because I wasn't crying like the way they were. That's interesting. Uh, and then I also identified myself as the strong one, which is uh, ridiculous and uh, sexist. So, uh, you know, 24, what are you going to (laughs) do? So I said, I felt funny being the strong one or the young, no baggage one or the guy. Wow, there's so many problems with that statement. Apparently, I was uh, an idiot when I was 24. Let's see what else I wrote as an idiot at 24. I I said, I've been really noticing ethnicity lately because I am taking a multicultural perspectives class and reading a lot about race. Oh, that's interesting. It's so weird to like read your journal, you know, and to see another you because that doesn't even I can't imagine saying such a stupid sentence. (laughs) It makes you wonder, like in 20 years, when I read my journal today, how stupid I'll think I am today. I'm sure I'll find myself to be quite stupid today. Let's see what else I wrote in October of 95. I wrote school is great. It's a constant struggle. Sometimes I feel like I'm the most capable therapist in the world. And other times I feel like dog shit. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like the most capable therapist in the world. And other times I feel like dog shit. Well, I would say both of those extremes are really quite stupid to feel when you're in literally like your second week of grad school. How could I possibly feel like I was the most capable therapist in the world? That's ridiculous. Uh, that's so interesting because I'm often telling my students that they really need to accept the fact that they're at the very beginning of their learning. I think there's this, there's this need for students right off the bat to feel like they're good at something. When it's like, why would you be good at something that you've had zero training in and almost no experience? It's like, why would you be good at that? And finally, I, I also wrote here, I predict that one day Donald Trump will be president. What? Why would I write that? I'm just joking. I didn't write that. Okay, so that's what I wrote in my journal. That was a weird trip down memory lane. But what about other therapists? That's me. But what about, what about other therapists? Why did they choose to be a therapist? There are many, many hypotheses posed over the past several decades by many authors and many researchers. And there are many contradictory findings. Some say we all have childhood problems, and some say we don't. Some say we're all crazy, and some say we're not so crazy. In this episode, I'm going to review and comment on the various research that attempts to answer this question, why do people decide to be therapists? But first... Let me introduce the podcast. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your loyal and humble host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the couple and family therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a practicing psychotherapist. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patrons of the podcast get access to the exclusive episodes like this one, along with other various benefits and swag. So again, if you haven't already, go to patreon.com and become a patron of our humble little podcast to get access to this episode. At this point, you can gain access to, to exclusive episodes by going to the creator posts tab on the Patreon page. But in the future, I'm pretty sure we're going to have a separate podcast feed that will be available on your podcast app like on your phone and that sort of thing. All right, hello patrons, love you so much. A little update on all the patrons. I think we have 60 patrons now, 60 60 people. Yeah, 60 patrons. Again, we're shooting for 2 to 300-ish, maybe more patrons. So we're definitely on our way, which I thank you so much for helping us out that way. Okay, so let's look at the research regarding why people decide to be therapists. Well, the first thing that I want to mention is that genetic factors are likely a factor in why people become therapists, but it's hard to study that, and there, aren't, there, there isn't much research on that, so I'm gonna skip over that. What about culture? Why? What, what cultural factors contribute to people becoming therapists? Well, there's not much research in this area either, but I did find one study by Henry et al. in '71. So consider that it was forty some odd years ago. And Henry et al. found that a high proportion of therapists were Jewish, were Eastern European in background. They grew up in large cities, oftentimes. They were either foreign-born or they had a foreign-born father. They were more likely to be liberal than their parents were, and they were more likely to feel socially marginalized as a child, usually because of their religion or their culture. But again, this was in 1971, and I, th- and I think the research was conducted in the 60s, And the demographics uh, in psychotherapy have drastically changed since then, and the world of psychotherapy has drastically changed since then. For example, almost all practicing therapists in the 1960s were psychoanalytic psychiatrists, whereas today that group is a very small minority in the therapy world. So that's what we can say about culture. Maybe there's other research, but I couldn't find it. But I did find a lot of research asking the next question as to whether or not childhood distress contributes to people's decision to become a therapist. You know, it's a common stereotype, right, that all therapists are fucked up. I remember once I was at a party, and some people I didn't know, we were actually at a buffet line, and we, people were talking across the buffet. You know, you know how you, the buffet line will split into two different, lines and you're, you're each going down the buffet table if that makes it on either side if that makes any sense anyway i'm looking across the buffet table and i'm you know putting various things on my plate because I'm, uh, I'm a pig and i eat lots of food at buffets um but anyway um it's a detail that probably didn't need to be included but um the person across the buffet table from me asks me what i did for a living and i and I, as I said in previous podcasts, I always hesitate to answer that question because I always get a bunch of strange answers. I'd much rather just say something like, "Oh, I work for Microsoft," and just have that be that, and so they don't ask any questions. But anyway, so I said, "Oh, actually, I'm a therapist," and and the person across at the, the table, they said, they said, "Oh, well, you must be really screwed up then, because you know all therapists are really screwed up, right?" And if I was talking to one of my friends or someone that I knew at least a little bit, I think we could joke around about that pretty easily. I'm not sensitive about stuff like that. But when I'm talking to a complete stranger, you know, an acquaintance, shall we say, I don't really know how to take that. Are, Are they trying to be insulting? Are they trying to joke around? are they just making conversation it seems like a really insulting thing to say to someone that you don't know that well and so you know i get that sometimes oh you know all therapists are are screwed up or another situation that i hear this stereotype is someone will be talking and they might not even know i'm a therapist and they'll they'll say something like oh well you don't want to go to therapy because therapists are the most screwed up people on the planet you don't want to go to them they've all got big issues or something, you know, you'll, you'll hear stuff like that. So let's see what the research says about that. Well, many authors and researchers actually agree with this stereotype. They believe that therapists experience more psychological pain in childhood than the average person. For example, a major figure in humanistic therapy, Bugenthal, I think that's how you pronounce his name, in 1964 wrote that people who, f- who feel frightened as, as children are attracted to the profession of therapist. So that's interesting. But I, I think that was just Bugenthal's guess. I don't think that was based on any hard data. Miller, in 81, argued that therapists typically grow up in stressful families and with narcissistic mothers, and therefore these children learn to pay attention to emotions of others. And I can see that, and I've, I've definitely seen therapists like this that grow up with problematic parents in some way so that the this child has to be very aware of their parents' emotional states, because if they if they ignore their parents' emotional states, their parents might their, the parents' mood might spin out of control, and the child will be caught off you know caught by surprise at the parents' uh, emerging behavior. Shall we speak? You know, it, I, I had, um, for instance, one therapist I know when she was a child she would immediately, as as soon as her father came home, she would immediately try to gauge if her father was uh, drunk or not, if he had been drinking or not. Because she could tell if he even had just one beer. And if he had been drinking, then she knew she had to be very careful about what she was doing and she had to manage her entire family. Whereas if he was sober, she could relax and she didn't need to worry. So you can imagine that someone growing up in an environment like that might have particular skills or interests in becoming a therapist, you know? Okay, a number of other researchers, three different studies by Mater in 89, Fussell in 90, and Dracovic and Sessions found that therapists often grow up as caretakers for their parents, similar to what Miller found in 81. Also, they found that therapists are trying to fix themselves by fixing other people. I don't know how you find that exactly, but... That's what they thought anyway. Sussman in 92 conducted a series of interviews with 14 therapists. So just the N of 14, but but, uh, interviewed 14 therapists and surmised that therapists choose to be therapists because they are working out their issues related to sex, related to aggression, related to self-esteem, and related to loneliness. So again, 14 therapists... And their interviews, so it's not exactly hard science. But Sussman at least found and/or believed that therapists choose to be therapists because they're trying to work out their own sexual conflicts or their issues regarding aggression or self-esteem or loneliness. Fussell in 1990 surveyed psychotherapists and, phys- and physicists, so a group of therapists and a group of physicists, and compared the two groups and found a much higher number of instances of parental loss for therapists due to things like illness, death, or divorce. So this is inter- interesting. So again, this is 90, 1990, but they, Fussell found that therapists were more likely to have lost a parent due to illness, death, or divorce. So that's kind of interesting, right? Elliot and Guy in ninety three found that therapists were more likely to report having at least one childhood trauma they were also more likely to report higher rates of sexual molestation, sexual abuse as children, higher rates of parental alcoholism, higher rates of parental mental illness, higher rates of parent or sibling death. However, they also found that therapists reported being less anxious and and less depressed than their than their non-therapist counterparts. So that's pretty interesting. Right? So so they found that therapists are more likely to have all these childhood difficulties, but at the same time, they're less likely to have difficulties as adults. <laughs> so, But I just want to pause and say it's possible, and, and many of these researchers will acknowledge this limitation, it's possible that therapists are just more aware of their issues as, as, as children. And I'll get more into that later. So it's hard to say if therapists actually suffered more as children or if they're just more aware of it and when they're asked about it, they're more likely to identify it. But anyway, Orlinsky and Ronstadt in 05 asked therapists, to what extent do you feel that your development as a therapist has been influenced by the motivation to explore and resolve your personal problems? And they found that 48% of the therapists indicated much or very much and 16% indicated not at all or slightly. So in other words, most therapists believe they chose to be a therapist because they experienced personal distress. So in other words, most therapists said that they feel that their development as a therapist has been influenced by their motivation to explore and resolve their personal problems. That's kind of interesting, right? And this was a large survey, by the way. It wasn't just 14 people. It was something like 5,000 therapists from around the globe in various different countries. And so you can bank on that statistic. So again, going into the limitations of this research, it's really hard to study this issue, this, this issue for a number of reasons and many authors and research researchers in my opinion insert their own speculation and their own theory into the data analysis so i want everything i've said so far i want you to take with a grain of salt also it's difficult to interpret the data because therapists are more likely to be aware of their childhood issues than non-therapists are you know therapists have been trained to emphasize their childhood difficulties as a way of assessing their own countertransference For instance, when people come into my program at Antioch University, Seattle, the first class they take is a class called Family of Origin, in which they analyze their childhoods in full. They spend an entire quarter investigating their childhood experiences and their families. And every single student at the end of the class will say they discovered things. So after that class, those students are much more likely, when asked, you know, did you have issues as a child, they're much more likely to say yes than when they began the class. And most, most training programs are like this, at least I hope they are. And that's just one class. Then when you're in supervision, you'll get asked more questions. You know, what childhood trauma is this touching on in you? You need to be aware of that. And so when you ask therapists, did you have problems as a child, they're much more likely to say absolutely because I, I think about them all the time whereas someone who had the same life the same difficulties might choose to forget those or might choose not to remember them or might frame them in a different way and therefore when you ask non-therapists did you have problems as, as children they might not they they might say no because they're they just frame their childhoods differently than therapists do also there's research that that contradicts this finding that therapists have more problems in childhood. For instance, Roe and Lundborg in '90 found that therapists are more likely to come from loving families and families that are functioning quite well. So that's weird, right? So some research says that therapists come from higher-functioning families, and some research says that they come from families that are lower-functioning. And so what is it? It's hard to know. One more study to talk about here. Scovold et al. in 2004 found that there's a bell curve regarding the amount of childhood distress for therapists, with some at the extreme end, some at the minimal end, but most were in the middle of the spectrum. So it seems that most therapists, according to this study in 2004, identify their lives as having an average amount of difficulties, shall we say. Not extreme, not minimal, but some. So it seems the research says various contradictory things here, right? I suspect it has to do with the sort of therapist you study and the bias of the researcher. I can, when I read these studies, I can definitely hear hints of bias uh, of the researcher. You know, If a researcher is out to prove that therapists come from families with difficulties, then they're, they're likely to find that in the data, especially when they design the study. It's also very difficult to study this sort of thing because how do you rate childhood difficulties, right? Is child molestation worse than physical abuse? Is the death of a mother worse than death of a father? Is divorce worse than your mother being depressed? You know, it's impossible to rate these things. And so how how can you rate childhood difficulties? How can you how can you even know? If one person has more childhood difficulties than the, than the next person. The other thing is you're completely basing all the data on the person's self-report and their own memory, which we all know to be extremely flawed and, and based on the way you narrativize your situation. So anyway. So, what do I think? I'll give you my own opinion on this based on reading all the research and thinking about all the various experiences that i've that I've had. You know I have a lot of experience with therapists I know many therapists and I've talked with many therapists in depth about their own childhoods you know, for instance, I've taught family of origin and in this class, the students will write papers, and I'll read them, and I'll learn things about their childhoods, and supervision with interns and with postgrads will talk about their childhoods, and I've talked with thousands of clients about their childhoods, you know, non-therapists about what their childhoods were like, and I've talked with many non-clients like friends and coworkers, about what their childhoods were like. You know, I'm therapists; therapist. People tell me things, right? And from my experience, therapists are no different than the average person. I think that therapists and non-therapists both vary in terms of how much problems they have in their in their childhood. Therapists are a very diverse group of people. Whatever sort of stereotype you have in your mind about a therapist, in all likelihood that's a small sliver of the population of therapists. When people meet me, uh, one at one time, often what I 'll hear from people when they meet me is they'll say you don't seem like a therapist to me, I'll say. And I'll ask him, well, what do you mean? Like, what did you expect? And often, you know, it's an old guy with a, with a gray beard, someone who is aloof and stoic and wise and someone who, I don't know, reads a lot of obscure literature or something. You know, definitely not someone who watches South Park, right? I mean, that's that's not the sort of – you don't think of therapists watching South Park, right? I'm not a big South Park fan, but I've definitely seen my my fair share of, of episodes. But anyway, people will say, you know, you don't – so anyway, my point is is that there is a wide variety of people who decide be, to become therapists. And therefore, I think it's really hard to say anything general about about therapists. But anyway. Okay, so let's go into the research even more. So not looking at childhood difficulties, but let's, let's look at common motivations. Now, these things I think I can get behind. The following research I, I find to be congruent with my experience. So, for instance, Perelstein in 75 found that therapists had a very high level of interoception interception. In other words, therapists are very likely to process the world primarily through their feelings and emotions, and they also have a need to analyze behaviors and feelings of other people. And I find this to be very true, and it stands to reason, right? Along these lines, Farber and Golden in 97 found that therapists chose their profession because they were highly introspective and psychologically minded. Ever since they were a teenager, they were this way which, again, also makes total sense, right? People who are highly introspective, who think about things a lot, who overthink, shall we say. People who are very psychologically minded. It makes sense that they would be attracted to the field of psychotherapy. Again, going back to the Henry et al. study in 1971, they found that therapists' most common motivations for choosing their profession were the following three things. To understand people, to help people, and to understand and help themselves. So that's interesting, right? They want to understand people, they want to help people, and they want to understand and help themselves. That's interesting, and I, I think that that's very true in my experience. Scovold et al. in 'o four studied 10 prominent therapists and found that uh, these therapists had a need to understand themselves and other people. Farber and Heifetz in 81 found that therapists find deep professional satisfaction from helping people who are troubled and enhancing their own growth and knowledge. So there seems to be that those two main things, is that therapists are motivated to be therapists because they want to understand and help others, and they want to understand and help themselves. Makes sense, right? Okay. What about psychoanalytic factors? There's a lot of psychoanalytic literature regarding why therapists become therapists. And along these lines, some, some authors will claim that therapists become therapists so that they can deny their own issues. In other words, they are distracting themselves from their own issues by focusing on other people's issues. Or other authors will say that therapists become therapists so they can satisfy their own narcissistic needs. You know, therapists are exalted in our culture and in the session, and they're highly respected. It's actually kind of weird. Before I was a therapist, I experienced a certain amount of general respect from people. But as soon as I became a therapist, there was a lot more respect given to me that seemed fake to me, that didn't seem like I deserved it, particularly in the beginning of my career. (laughs) When you say you're a therapist, that holds a lot of weight in our culture. And so some people who have narcissistic issues might be attracted to the field of psychotherapy because the job provides them with that instant prestige just based on their job. And that makes sense to me too. Also, as a therapist, when clients come to you, and pay you a bunch of money to, to talk with you, that's also quite a self-esteem boost, you know? Someone pays me $150 to talk with me for 55 minutes, you know, that says something, right? And if you have issues about self-esteem and you have issues about narcissism, about the way that you see yourself, this profession might be attractive to you. That makes sense to me. Although when I think about all the various therapists I know, I wouldn't say that they're particularly narcissistic. Another psychoanalytic factor might be that therapists get to play out their rescue fantasies. I definitely had rescue fantasies before I was a therapist. I remember watching a lot of World War II dramas as a child. In the '70s, it was a big thing to have you know movies and TV shows about World War II, about the heroism of World War II. You know, you had GI Joe. Or Early G.I. Joe, like the big doll G.I. Joe, not the G.I. Joe cartoon. But there's a lot of war depictions in the 70s. And as a child, I remember having this fantasy about rescuing my, my comrades in arms. Like, I remember fantasizing a lot about being the guy who jumps on the grenade. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but, you know, you have a bunch of guys in a foxhole together and a grenade falls into the foxhole. And instead of everyone dying, one brave soul will jump on the grenade and take take it and die, obviously, but the rest of the people will survive. And that person will be hailed a hero and that sort of thing. Well, I, as a child, I often would fantasize about being that guy. I have no idea why I had that fantasy. But, but it, you know, there's this... There's, this narcissi- there's, a, there's a certain narcissism in that, you know. I'm going to be that guy who saves people. I'm going to be that guy who is needed in some way. And so I definitely had rescue fantasies. And it would make sense that that might have played into my decision to become a therapist. Another psychoanalytic factor is that therapists might choose to be therapists so they can gain intimacy and closeness with people. You know, therapy is very intimate, You sit for an hour talking intimately with another person, and you're often sitting very close. You're just a few feet away from each other. There's really no other situation like this other than perhaps situations with your spouse, at least hopefully with your spouse, in which you sit very close to someone, look them directly in the eye for an hour, and just talk about something. Well, imagine doing that 40 hours a week (laughs) or 25 hours a week or whatever you know, it it provides therapists with a tremendous amount of interpersonal closeness and warmth and dependency and and interaction. And so maybe some people are attracted to the profession because they are missing that in their lives, or they're missing it as children, and they feel lonely, and they want to cure that loneliness by becoming therapists. Seems very possible to me. Okay, I want to talk about one particular study by Farber et al. in '05. They reviewed all the various different literature and research regarding why people become therapists. And they identified 12 themes in the research literature. And those themes were the following. Number one, experience cultural or social marginalization. So in other words, they found a theme in the literature that seemed to suggest that a lot of therapists choose to become therapists because they had experienced cultural or social marginalization when they were younger. The second theme is that they found that therapists often endure painful childhood memories. Third theme is that therapists often develop a high degree of psychological mindedness. Number 4, they found Farber et al. in 05 found that therapists often come from backgrounds in which they served as confidants to others. Either to their parents or just other people, they they often were depended on uh by other people when they were younger. Farber et al. in 05 also found that mentorship was a major factor in becoming a therapist. People often would identify a mentor in their past as being influential. Number 6, a lot of therapists had engaged in personal therapy in the past and that influenced their decision to become a therapist. And 7 through 12 all have to do with needs that therapists seem to have in common. For instance, the need to help others, the need to understand others, the need for autonomy, the need to the need for intimacy the need for intellectual stimulation, and the need for self-growth and healing. So again, the 12 themes in the research literature that Farber et al. found in 05 was they likely experienced cultural or social marginalization when they were younger. They often experienced a painful childhood. They're often very psychologically minded. They often, in the past, were a confidant to people, particularly their parents, They often had a mentor or a therapist that influenced their decision. They had a need to help other people. They had a need to understand people. They had a need for for autonomy because being a therapist provides a certain amount of autonomy. They had a need for intimacy. They had a need for intellectual stimulation. And they had a need for self-growth and healing. All right, what do I think? Well, let me tell you what I think. It's my podcast. I get to say what I think, too. So, I read a lot of admission essays as chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle. I read all of the admissions essays from all the applicants, and in our program, we get you know i don't know a hundred applicants every year, and I read all these essays so now i haven't coded these essays and and done any mathematical tabulation but from my sense of reading of all of them in my mind i can make s- some of the following conclusions also like i said i think of, i can use my own experience and i can use my experience with you know other students and talking to them and my experience with my colleagues you know why do people decide to become therapists and here's what i think well, I've found that therapists are generally oriented toward people, which sounds obvious, right? But, that, but that's something I think that should be pointed out. Now, this doesn't mean that they're extroverted. In fact, I find that a lot of therapists are introverted. So you can be introverted or extroverted, but they're oriented toward people. They might be oriented toward groups of people or individuals, but they're, they're very interested in relationships, They like talking. They like listening. They like interacting. They like being in contact with people. Also, I find that therapists like to hypothesize about why people are the way that they are. I've always been this way. I think I've been this way since I was very young, actually. There are stories about me at the age of four and people thinking that I was analyzing them at the age of four, which sounds just ridiculous and sort of cute, but I have an aunt who says that at the age of 4, I would stare into her soul with my eyes. <laughs> it's sort of a joke in my family. But uh but yeah, I've always been really interested in why people are the way that they are even as a young child. You know, I think you'll find that therapists will be identified as very observant and that they they like to they like to observe people. I also find that therapists enjoy wondering about their own emotions and their own thoughts. But honestly, I find that most people are this way, so it's hard to tell. But definitely, therapists are interested in their own emotions and thoughts, and I am too. You know, when I wrote in my journal earlier that my decision to become a therapist brought in many different interests of mine into one job, and that's what it did. You know, when I, did, when I decided to become a therapist, I was like, okay, my interest in, in why people are the way that they are. I will get to do at my job. I was always fascinated with my own thoughts and with other people's thoughts, and my own emotions and other people's emotions. And the thought of being a therapist uh, was exciting to me because I thought, "Oh, I get to incorporate that that hobby of mine, so to speak, into my job. How fast! How great is that?" I think another major factor, as Farber et al. found in '05, is that that people's past experiences with therapy is a major factor in their decision to become a therapist. I read this a lot in the admissions at essays. It certainly affected me. I went to therapy when I was 19, and that planted a seed that later grew when I was 24 to, it, in, into my decision to become a therapist. I, I, I don't know, but I guess I'm, I'm, t- I'm going to take a guess and say, that if I hadn't had that stint of therapy when I was 19, I probably, it probably wouldn't have even occurred to me to become a therapist when I was 24, although it's hard to tell. However, this isn't universal. Many many people, many therapists have never been to therapy. The vast majority have been to therapy, and we require it in our program. You have to, be, you have to go to therapy. But many applicants have never been to therapy. It's a minority of people, of course. but, but uh, So this isn't universal. Also, I hear a lot of people identifying a mentor of some sort when they were younger, whether it was a coach that really helped them emotionally or a pastor or a youth minister or just some, some mentor of the past. Uh, people often will identify that person as a reason why they decided to become a therapist. I think it's because they realize the power of having someone to talk to when they were younger and how, how transformative that can be and how needed it is. And so I think these people go on to say, I want to give back by, by doing that for other people. Another major factor that I hear a lot is a desire to make a difference in the world. And that's, that's me. That's the main reason why I wanted to be a therapist is I wanted to try to make a difference. I don't know if I'm making a difference, but I definitely want to try to make a difference. When I go to bed at night, I want to look back on my day and see that I tried to make a difference. I tried to make a positive difference. Now, I, I never know if I actually do you know, provide a positive difference because there's just no way of measuring that. But I want to try, and that, that's very meaningful to me. And so I think that a lot of therapists are like that. Another reason that I'm hearing more and more actually as the years go by is social justice. There are a lot of applicants to my program that will identify social social justice as a major factor in their decision to become a therapist. Our society is changing in very good ways, and one of the ways is that we are talking more and more about about social justice and more and more about racism and sexism and all sorts of isms that are horrible, and there are a lot of young people that are saying, "I want to do something about that, but there aren 't a lot of professions in which you can actually do something about that. You can be a researcher, you could be a physician and 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 only provide medical attention for poor people or something but a but a very conducive career is to become a therapist because you are working directly with people, and most people come from an oppressed group, whether you're a woman or a person of color or someone with a disability or you're LGBTQ or something. There there are so many clients that come from marginalized groups that it's easy to make a difference in this way by being a therapist. You can work directly with the individual for a long period of time and so it's it's very uh, attractive in that way it's interesting i'll I'll get some people that will say well i wanted to work in social justice and so i started volunteering at a homeless shelter and i started doing that and then i thought oh, i don't know if this is going to work forever right? you know and then they'll just randomly find their way into the therapy program so it's not like they decided to be a therapist because they wanted to do therapy they decided to become a therapist because They thought it was the easiest way to bring their social justice desires into a job, which is interesting. I I didn't see that a long time ago as much. I I see it a lot now in Seattle. I think another major reason why people become therapists is because they want to learn something. I think most people understand that psychology is an extremely vast and never-ending field, and I think that There are a lot of people in this world that love to learn. They're always wanting to learn things, and I think they're attracted to psychology and psychotherapy because they know that they'll be learning a lot of stuff, and that is definitely true. That's certainly true about me. I mean, one of the main reasons why I do this podcast is because it gives me an opportunity to geek out and drill down deep on a particular topic like this one, like, why do people become therapists? I wouldn't have looked into this to this extent if, if I hadn't decided on doing this episode. you know. And so I definitely get my jollies uh, in that way by doing the podcast. Another reason why I think a lot of people become therapists is because being a therapist provides you with a certain amount of freedom. Like the Farber et al. study in 05, looking for themes, they found autonomy, a need for autonomy. Well, it has to do with that. For instance, for me, when I was 24... I was dissatisfied with my job and my future because I was working eight to five, which is a very common shift, right? Eight to five, eight to six or something. And I'm not a morning person. (laughs) I am not a morning person. Plus, just thinking about, you know, I was 24, so you got to figure at least 50 or at least, what is that? 45 years of working. I just thought about... The next forty or forty five years of my life, I'm gonna work in a in an office building with fluorescent lighting and bad carpets and attend staff meetings and I don't know, just that idea of being locked in to that kind of job really was distasteful to me. I, I liked the people that I that I worked with and I liked my job and I got paid a lot actually and I I liked doing what I was doing, but but i just thought about the rigidity of it all and then i got stuck in traffic on 520 and then it really just hit me i just thought oh my god this this is going to be my life for the next 40 years i'm going to be in traffic wearing a suit and locked into the 8 to 5 workday monday through friday this is the rest of my life and i thought how do i get out of this <laughs> and whether or not it was true or not, at the time, I saw being a therapist as a way to get out. I, I thought that being a therapist would provide a lot of autonomy. I think in my head, I thought all therapists were in private practice, which is definitely not true. I mean, there's certainly a lot of therapists that are locked into the 8 to 5 workday. When you work in an agency, it's definitely that way. But, but a lot of people are attracted to the field of psychotherapy because they want to be in private practice, which you get to make your own schedule. And as a person in private practice myself, I, I get to make my own schedule. Uh, and you, you have freedom a lot of times because you often don't have a boss and no one's breathing down your neck. Even when you're an intern and you've never seen a client before, their, your boss isn't breathing down your neck. And a lot of people are surprised by this, even even the interns themselves, They'll say, "So I'm about to have my first client tomorrow. Is someone going to be in the room with me to help me if I screw this up?" And I'm like, "Nope. <laughs> you you just walk into that room, and you just don't tell your client that this is your first session of your entire life as a therapist. You just don't say, just don't mention that. And you know, people are the the amount of autonomy that is given to therapists. It, there's a lot of autonomy right from the start." Now, in my program and in other programs, they require observation of interns. Like in my program, there's 50 hours during your internship, 50 sessions that you're actually observed in some way. And so you definitely are observed. But for the most part, you're just left to your own devices. And that's not because we necessarily trust interns, but it's so expensive to provide supervision for so many interns, you know. It's a very expensive endeavor to have a supervisor watch every single session, and so it's just not done. Plus, it's not really necessary. Uh, by the time someone gets to the internship phase in our program, they're pretty well trained, and so we trust them. Another freedom that I find that is attractive to therapists is you get to be authentic or real or genuine. You know, As a therapist, at least for many therapists, many styles of therapy... It's okay to be yourself. You don't have to act like anything. You don't have to sell anyone on anything. You can just be yourself. And so that's very attractive to people. And I've certainly found that about myself. I like being a therapist because I like being real. I like asking questions that are real. I don't like beating around the bush. And so I think therapists are attracted to this field because of that. Another reason, frankly, why people are attracted to be a therapist is the need for prestige. There are many ways to help others, you know, and there are many other types of jobs to help others besides being a therapist. But, but being a therapist, you both get to help others and you're also elevated in our culture as I think I was talking about earlier, as soon as I became a therapist, I was instantly given a ton of respect, even though I didn't feel like I, I deserved it. And, you know, our culture looks at therapists in a particular way. We definitely elevate them. Some people hate therapists in general for various prejudicial reasons, but but they're seen in a certain light. You know, doctors, physicians, surgeons, politicians. There there's certain jobs where all you got to do is say your job and you're instantly seen as a special person. You know, if you say you're a car salesman, you're instantly categorized. If you say you're a janitor, you're categorized. If you're a garbage man, you're categorized. Well, when you're a therapist, you're categorized as someone who is intelligent, educated, professional, um, that sort of stuff. There's definitely other stereotypes and associations like you're a flake, or you're super into crystals or something, um, but but anyway. So I think a lot of therapists are attracted to become a therapist because they want the prestige. It's a it's a certain perk of being a therapist. And I have to confess that was a big reason why I wanted to be a therapist too. I don't think I really admitted it at the time, but I, I was looking forward to being respected. I guess. <laughs> um. And the last factor that I just think of when I think of the various different therapists I know, I think a lot of therapists are attracted to therapy because they want to solve their own loneliness. You know, a lot of people are lonely in our culture. A lot of, a lot of, people, a lot of Americans and maybe even particularly people in Seattle, are, uh, they find themselves as being quite isolated socially. You know, they call it the Seattle freeze, that sort of thing. I'm not a big supporter of the Seattle free, freeze stereotype because uh, – well, I will get into it. But but anyway, I, a lot of people I find are socially isolated. But when I talk to people and I say, you know, do you wish you had more friends? The vast majority of people would say yes. Yeah. Or if I asked them, do you, do you wish you had more time with your friends, more time to spend with your friends, or your friends had more time for you? The vast majority of people would say yes. I, I, I miss – friend time, or I miss together time with other people. And I think that being a therapist is attractive because you spend every hour of the day, almost talking to other people in an intimate manner. People are coming to you and sitting just a few feet away from you. And you're looking into each other's eyes and talking that and you don't feel lonely when you're doing that, you know. And so I think some people are attracted to it to solve a certain amount of loneliness. And when I think back on my own life when I was 24, it's hard for me to know, but I'm guessing that was a factor too. I think I was looking forward to the human contact, the, the real, genuine, authentic human contact that I predicted would happen, and it did for sure. And I think I've always been attracted to that. I think I've always liked intimate, real contact with people. And people in general don't like that, or they don't or they're afraid of it or something. I would that's, that'd be more accurate to say they're afraid of it. I would think most people actually want it, but they're afraid of it. And in therapy, that's the purpose of it, right? Clients come to therapy to get that. And so, you know, it's interesting. A lot of clients, when when they talk to me, they'll say, I, I haven't said this to anyone, right, in my entire life. This person could be 65 years old And in the second session, they're telling me something and they're saying, I've never told anyone this before. And it just really is a testament to how lonely we all are, to how isolated we all are, to how afraid we are to be ourselves, to reveal our true selves to other people, that we need therapists in order to be real. And I think that's a a terrible thing in our society. I would love it if we didn't have any need for therapists. I would just love that. That would mean our society would be so healthy. But of course, I would be out of a job. But I'm a podcaster now, and you guys are all becoming patrons of the podcast. And, and quite honestly, this whole patron podcast thing is, is every day there are people becoming patrons. In fact, I think another person just became a patron. Let me, let me look that person up. Yeah, Holly. Holly just became a patron as I was recording this. If you haven't become a patron, well, of course you have become a patron because if you're listening to this anyway, um, tell your friends. Tell your friends to become patrons. I know some of you have friends, particularly you, and you guys in graduate school. You guys know tens of people that could potentially listen to this podcast and become patrons. Tell them to become a patron, too. All right. Um, what can I say as a conclusion here? People are complex. And trying to generalize as to why people do a particular thing is very difficult. It's a, it's a wonderful exercise, and it's a wonderful exploration. But it comes up with terribly ambiguous results. But that is the wonderful thing about being a human, and the wonderful thing about being a therapist, is that people are individual, they're unique, and our paths in life are varied and specific, and random at times. And it's hard to know why people do stuff. You know, people are weird. So again, just to go over the factors that I came up with after contemplating this and looking at the research is that therapists are oriented toward people. They like to hypothesize about the way people are the way that they are. They also like to hypothesize and contemplate their own thoughts and feelings. They've often been affected by therapy themselves or a mentor in the past. They have a desire to make a difference. They have a push for social justice. They have a a need to learn. They want freedom. They want the prestige. And they want to solve their their own loneliness. That's just my experience. I think I'm going to add one more and say that a lot of times therapists choose to become therapists because they struggle from a particular issue. You know, I struggled with anxiety growing up, particularly in my early 20s. And that was probably a a main factor in terms of my desire to become a therapist. And being a therapist definitely helped. If you've listened to my 12 anxiety tips episode, I talk about all that. Other things that I hear other people talk about are they were abused as children, they have PTSD, or they were depressed and they're suicidal as as teenagers, or they had anorexia or something. You know, there's usually something in their past that seriously plagued them, and that probably is a factor in terms of them becoming a therapist. You know, it's like a lot of people who are chemical dependency counselors struggled with chemical dependency themselves in the past. Okay, so just to review the new patrons here and thank them, we have Holly and Diana and Rebecca and William and Anna and Catherine and Danny and Britton and Cooper. These are our newest patrons. Thank you so, so much for becoming patrons. You're super rad. Love you so much. It's great to be appreciated by you guys. It's really, really great. And remember that... Part of your pledge goes to the Trevor Project and the Plymouth Housing Group, which are extremely worthy charities that I recommend you just give straight to, which would be good also. I just actually ran into a a homeless guy. Actually, well, he wouldn't be homeless anymore, but a guy who basically lives in my alleyway at times doesn't live there. Anyway, point is he's sort of famous in my neighborhood. I think I've talked about him before. He's the sugar mama guy. He often holds up a sign that says "Sugar Mama Needed" or something, and he's very active. And I just bumped into him on the way over, and he said that he has a home on Third and Cherry. And I asked him, "Oh, is that with was that with the Plymouth Housing Group?" And he said, "Yep, that is." And I said, "You know what? I give to that organization. You're welcome." <laughs> and we joke around with each other. He calls me neighbor. But he's not really my neighbor because he lives a few blocks away because he lives in the Plymouth Housing Group. But he also said that he had to pay rent. That's why he was asking money for me. He's like, I have to pay rent. So it must be low rent. Anyway, well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Let me know what you think. If you're a therapist or you're deciding to become a therapist, tell me why. Why did you decide to become a therapist? Let me know, and I'll read your answer online. And if you don't want me to read your answer, tell me not to read your answer. That's, you know, a major thing. I always think, does this person want me to read their email on the podcast? And I usually make a determination uh, based on what you're talking about. Also, you know, sometimes I won't say your name because it seems a little personal. So I try to use my best judgment. But anyway, I'd like to personally know why you decided to become a therapist. I'm fascinated by that. All right. That does it for the episode. Thanks for joining. Please please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You know you do. You totally deserve it.